I've never met you, uh, and I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here. Uh, and, and if you are new, I would love, I would love to meet you. Uh, I will be at the Connect table at the end of service to say hi. Uh, but just to begin, there's a few things that are happening in the life of our church that I would love for you to know. Uh, and as you walked in, you received a, uh, a program uh, and if you take this home, you put it on the fridge, whatever it is, it will give you reminders of what's happening. Uh, I'm really excited to share with you on February 24th, uh, we will have a, a, a famous, oh, I guess for us, uh, a pancake feed that, uh, fun fact, I don't know how this happens, but sometimes we have more people downstairs at the pancake feed than we had during service that same day. So I don't know how that happens, but hey, uh, all that to say, it's a very popular event. Would love for you to be there. Uh, there's a Bethany's Women's uh, Retreat that's coming up in Leavenworth. Uh, and again, if you have more questions, it's in the, uh, at the Connect table. And this is all of Bethany, not just West Seattle, but uh, across all six locations. Uh, let's see here, a couple other things. Marriage Matters, we're having a, a panel, a uh, kind of an educational seminar type, type deal. If you are married, if you're engaged, if you are dating, if you just maybe want to be here, no matter where your life stage is, uh, this is for you. That's happening in March uh, 13th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. here. If you have any questions, please email Ashley. Her email is uh, in the program as well. So a lot of cool things happening. Please stay in tune and stay engaged uh, because a lot of things that are happening in the life of the church isn't just about uh, Sunday mornings, but it's about how we serve our neighborhood, our community, and, and grow uh, within each other. And so now we are almost done with the book of Romans. Uh, this morning we're in chapter 15, uh, and, and it's one of my, I feel like I say this every week, it's one of my favorite chapters uh, because it deals with something that I'm very, very passionate about. Uh, which is this, what does it look like for, for believers, for those of us that consider us followers of Jesus, what would it look like for us to come to the table, even in our disagreements, uh, even in even perhaps disbelief or doubt, or, or maybe even a dislike for a particular conviction or whatever, what would it look like for us to come to the table and to have dialogue and to learn and grow, guided by the Holy Spirit from each other. And that's what Paul is talking about this morning. And so let me just read the text for you, uh, and then I'll pray, and uh, we will get started. Uh, it's in Romans chapter 15. Uh, the whole thing is going to be verse uh, 1 through 7, but we'll kind of break it down as we go. And so the word of the Lord says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, which is in Psalms, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught us the scriptures uh, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Verse 5, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you. 
that we all arrived here safely to hear from you, God. We thank you for the snow. We thank you for the time with family. We thank you for the break away from them now, and, and we thank you that we get to hear from you. God, will you convict us this morning? God, may we walk out of here transformed. May we believe that Sunday isn't just about showing up and, and checking off a list, but it's a day, it's an hour that we truly believe that you are at work in our lives and with the privilege to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, oftentimes when I get started, uh, I always begin, I oftentimes begin with an illustration of my personal life. And and for those of you that know, uh, that includes going to church, doing work, uh, and and maybe some form of physical activity. uh, And it's the avenue of CrossFit, right? So now, the rule of thumb is if you do CrossFit, you have to talk about it all the time. And so that's why I talk about it all the time. But... Uh, last couple weeks, I have developed a, a, a new thing. Uh, I've gone uh, gluten-free, okay? Now, now bear with me now. Uh, and, and gluten-free is like one of those things. Maria's laughing at me uh, because I had donuts yesterday. So uh, I'm gluten-free majority of the week, except for when it comes to donuts. And, and so between CrossFit and gluten-free, I feel like there's a plethora of things to always be talking about. Uh, but, but this morning, I, I want to start off with something that many of you may not know about me, is that for many, many years, um, I have, since I was, as, as a child, I've always participated uh, in, in some form of martial arts, okay? Insert Asian stereotype, okay? Uh, some sort of, of martial arts. And for the last decade or so, uh, I've been a part of this practice called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, okay? Uh, and so it's a form of martial arts that's, that's not very violent, but it's, it's a movement. And, and for those that aren't very versed or, or uh, informed in what this is, it may look like two people just hugging it out, just hugging it out uh, uh, for a very long time. But it goes, it's deeper than that. And, and I would say, and I would argue that it pushes not just you physically, but even mentally. And I always consider it a, a physical game of chess. And one way to improve is to go against one another. And the coach will oftentimes, at least at my gym, the coach will often pair, because it's in a belt formation, a lower belt, like a white belt, with a higher belt, maybe a blue or a purple or even a black belt, together uh, so that the white belt can learn. And, and so before this sparring or this thing happens, the coach always says, be a good partner. Be, a, especially if you are the higher belt, the more experienced, be a good partner. Now, what does that mean? What that means is your job as the higher belt, as someone that has been practicing this martial arts for many, many years, many more years than this white belt who's probably brand new, it is your job to teach them, to encourage them, to show them where they went wrong, to help them along uh, in their development in, in the sport. Now, that doesn't happen if this upper belt, this, white, this, this black belt, 
just destroyed and crushed this person who constantly beat on this person, just constantly just won the matches, just constantly didn't give this white belt a chance to learn. Like, that would be a terrible partner. If a coach saw that, that he would say or she would say, you are being a bad partner. Because the point is, yes, the acknowledgement is the higher belt, theoretically, you could beat and you're better and you're, you've improved faster than this lower belt, but your job is to teach. Your job is to be patient when they make mistakes. Your job as an upper belt, the one that is more experienced, it is your job to help and to build this person up. And now I think I, you know where I'm going with this, but this is exactly what Romans chapter 15 and what Paul is talking about. He, he's addressing uh, these religious people that have it all together. He's addressing those that have converted to the Christian faith and they may understand the person of Jesus more than others uh, or quicker than others. And, and his plea to those people are, will you be patient? Will you walk alongside those rather than judging them, rather than condemning them, rather than tearing them down? Would you spend your time be intentional about building and raising those that Paul would consider uh, or use the word the weaker ones in chapter ver- in verse one and two? And, and see, I would argue that oftentimes this story is really about us. This illustration about this jujitsu, it's about us. The story about Paul in chapter 15, it's about us. Because oftentimes, many of us, myself included, I'm the first one to be guilty of this. We consider, many of us that consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we essentially become bad partners. And, And here's what I mean. Many of us, we feel like our faith is solid. Okay, and I don't take that away from you, and I don't doubt that, I don't challenge that, uh, but many of us, we understand and we, and we believe about ourselves that our faith is good. We, we read the Bible, we show up to church, we, we pray before meals, we have our quiet times, our spiritual discipline, whatever you want to call it, we, we practice and, and we're devout in our faith. And again, I'm not challenging this, but the problem oftentimes that arises within that, and, and I would say this to myself as, as well, is that when our zeal breaks down the community of faith rather than building it up. And we've seen problems with this so frequently, especially today when the world, in our society especially, is so divisive. That our faith, what we believe, the scriptures, turns into more of a weapon than a bridge that draws people closer together, that reveals the love and the graciousness and the mercy of God. In this time, our faith in what we believe about God, instead of building each other up, instead of walking alongside people, instead of teaching those and showing, not just talking about, because Christians, we, have a, we do a good job of talking about our faith. But what Paul is saying, actually practice it. Practice the love that Christ has for us in turn to others. Build each other up rather than using that very faith that's supposed to build that breaks. That breaks down the community. 
And, and, I, and I would argue not just a community of faith, not just amongst believers, but, but even those that, that you're surrounded by. What story does your faith tell? Your belief in Jesus, what does that communicate to others? Because we've seen this belief and this understanding, this love for Christ actually do the opposite. Instead of attracting people to Jesus, actually repels. And we've seen this. And we've seen this manifest in various ways. Whether it's through harsh judgment, frivolous debates and arguments about doctrine, whether it's through condemning, judgmentalism, and even in, in extreme situations, we've seen in the name of faith, hatred being expressed, and even more extreme violence. And sadly, history has shown this to be true, that under the name and the banner of Jesus, hatred has happened and violence has happened. I mean, for those of you that might be familiar a little bit with church history, uh, in 1095 A.D., towards the end of the 11th century, a French pope by the name Pope Urban II called all Christians to, to go up in arms and to battle against those, particularly the Muslims, uh, that don't believe in the person of Jesus and, and go up against people that are antithetical to the ways of Jesus' teaching. And so the solution during the end of this 11th century is that uh, the calling was this. If you find people that disagree with you, that don't agree with the Christian faith, then, then, then kill, take their lives. And, and fortunately, at least in the United States and in Seattle particularly, this isn't the case. We don't necessarily physically and actually take people's lives for not believing the same things that we do, but we start to tear down and introduce a sense of death to others uh, through our words, through our action, through our exclusion, through our hatred, through, through yes, perhaps even violence and, and, and hateful messages. This happens. Maybe not this anymore, but history has shown uh, that our faith oftentimes has been used as a device towards pushing people away from Christ rather than bringing people closer. That our faith has been used as a device to break down the community of faith rather than building it up. And so what Paul is expressing, especially in these first uh, two verses, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. We who have it to get, we who understand the faith, we who have been walking with Christ, we who feel like we have a grasp on the scriptures we who believe are being guided by the Holy Spirit, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of those that may not just get it yet. May we, uh, he says, uh, bear with the failings of those that may not be Christians yet. May we bear with the failings that might be Christians but not, that might not have developed a sense of spiritual maturity yet. And not to just simply please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. <clears throat> if you believe you have grasped the faith, he pleads in this, in this text, he pleads for them to have patience with one another. Not looking to tear down those who express their faith differently, 
mean, it's funny that Paul is encouraging this in the first century, and yet these are real words for us this morning. That, we may exp- that, that even though people may express their faith differently, we are called to love, to encourage, and to build, to build, to build them up. And the foundation of any building, we all know, is one of the most important aspects of any structure. And the foundation of this building, as we build others, is undergirded through the person of Christ and through the Holy Spirit. It will always be love. This foundation to build will always be the foundation of love. And I know for a lot of us, it sounds kind of hokey-pokey and kind of sounds kind of squishy because love, you know, at the end of the day, just, it's all about love. But it's the words of Jesus, and I'm just communicating that. What we deem as the greatest commandment is all about this idea of love. And I'll just read it to you. In Matthew, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God. And so when we talk about building each other up, when Paul's talking about building one another to encourage one another, the foundation of that building is love. And Jesus says, that is the most important thing you can do. These disciples say, Jesus, what is, the, what is the most important thing? What is the basis of your gospel? What are you trying to teach us? And Jesus simplifies the entire Ten Commandments and says, let me just break it down for you guys. Because sometimes you guys just miss the mark. Let me, let me make it real simple. Love me and the second greatest commandment is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we're being honest with ourselves, we can easily argue that as Christians, it is our job to set people straight. Right? You might not say that out loud, but that happens. As followers of Jesus, as the strong, as the self-identified strong that Paul might be talking about in verse 1, we may believe that it's our job to correct people's doctrine. You may believe it's your job that if you see a Facebook post that you disagree with, that it is your job to comment on it, to disprove what they are saying. Right? And side note, I really believe that a litmus test of our spiritual maturity, and this is speaking for myself because I love, okay, anyways, I'm talking about myself because I think the litmus test of spiritual maturity is how much can you refrain from attacking someone on social media? And if you're like me, the answer sometimes it's, it's kind of weak. And so what we're talking about here is we believe that it's our job to correct people, to, to tell people that they're, what they're doing is incorrect, that the right way to believe is this. And, and, and I will say there is a time and place to rebuke and to correct. The Bible says that. The, Jesus is not afraid of saying that. But my question for us this morning is, is simple. In, in the midst of that, what is your motive? What is your motive? 
In your motivation to correct, in your motivation to help people along in their faith, is it to be right? Is it to win? Or is it to be loving? Or is it to be loving? Is it to be right or is it to be loving? You know, uh, Rich, Pastor Richard, the pastor at Green Lake and my boss always says this. He always says that oftentimes in conversations, in debates, in arguments, in conflict, you can be correct. You can technically, you can be right, but you can still lose. You can be right and still lose. And, and I would say this is exactly the dynamic that Paul is talking about Right here. And the question for us this morning is what is your motive? Is it to be right or to be loving? And, and I love these verses uh, in, in verse 1 and 2 about the strong and, and the weak. And, and I just want to quickly make a few observations uh, about these verses. First, Paul switches from speaking uh, of fellow brothers and sisters. Okay, all throughout Romans, in fact, in the New Testament, this idea of Paul speaking to fellow believers or talking about fellow believers, he'll use the words brothers and sisters. And he uses that term uh, over, well over 200 times. And, and yet, in this verse, he says, we who are strong ought to put up with the feelings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor. It's a completely different word that only happened in the New Testament less than 20 times. I believe, depending on translation, uh, 17 times, which isn't a lot, Paul uses the word neighbor. And, And it's the same word that Paul uses neighbor as the word that Jesus used when he's talking about the greatest commandment is to love one another, to love your neighbor. In the Greek, it's the same exact words. And the point is this. Paul is not being selective in who we need to love. Paul is not being selective in who we need to help. Paul is not being selective who we need to encourage and to build up, just like Jesus was never selective in the way that he talks about loving your neighbor. And we see this in the, throughout the entire ministry of Jesus, that he was all about loving the stranger. In fact, if he would push or, or create space from anyone, it was the religious people. How ironic is that? And, and yet when Jesus says, uh, you need to love me, God, and love others, love your neighbor, that just means you need to love everybody no matter what, love everybody. And, and that same word Paul is saying is you need to build up and be patient with and to encourage and to help along and have grace and compassion for everybody. This includes fellow Christians. This includes people that may deny any religious faith. This may even include those that are uh, antagonistic towards faith. And Paul says to build them. Paul says to deal with their failings. And not to just think about proving our own point, not just battling it out so we can win, but to be undergirded by the Holy Spirit to love them. 
So that's the first observation real quick is that Paul talks about everybody is included in the people that we as the strong, as those that got it to build and walk alongside. Secondly, in verse 2, this idea of build. It says to build, and every translation talks about build. Build them up. Build up the neighbor. Well, what does that mean? Build uh, comes from this Greek word, okodemo. Okay, that's literally foreign language. Uh, But the root word of that is oikos, which means home. And and not just a home like a house that you walk into, not like a structure that is being built, not even a thing that you can see. But Paul is saying, with your neighbors, create a home, a family. Be invitational and welcome them to the table to the house, and not to be selective, and not to be self-righteous, and not to be exclusive, but to invite all those, everybody, not just the people of faith, not just those that identify as Christians, not those that are in the same denomination, in the same belief as you. He is saying, build a home, a safe place, because that's what a home is, right? It's a place of a, a family, a familiarity, a, a safe place, a place for you to love and be loved. Create that space for your neighbor, not just other Christians, okay? Paul's very, very, very clear and very intentional about saying it's not just selected to those that believe the same thing as you. That's easy. Even Jesus says even the pagans do that. Even the tax collectors do that. The challenge and the encouragement for us is to build a home and welcome and encourage and walk alongside and help build with those that might be different. And again, that could be in belief. It can be in in actual Christian practice. It could be in socioeconomics. It could be in ethnicity. It could be in language. Build a home to help and to encourage people in their faith because we are the strong ones. Paul would identify, and not in a conceited or arrogant way, but those that are the, what I would refer to as my illustration, the upper belts. If you consider yourself a black belt in Christianity, if you consider yourself a blue or or a higher belt, it is our job with patience and kindness to help others along, to attract them even closer to Jesus. And and third part, and I think here's the interesting thing, is that in scholarship, in verses 1 and 2 and 3, there's debate on who the actual strong and who the actual weak that Paul is talking about. He would say, on one end... We could easily read this, and there's no, even in the original language, there's no strong evidence or indication that it leads one way or another. But on one end, we can read this as uh, the Jewish Christians being the strong. Because remember, you know, in several weeks we talked about the, the background of, of Romans, right? It's this constant friction and conflict between the Jewish, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, uh, and how the Jewish Christians were, were expelled from Rome uh, in, in 49 AD, came back 10 years later, and it only made conflict worse. And, and, and so uh, in this text, we can easily read it through a Jewish lens and say, 
Well, of course, it, the Jewish people have the Torah. The Jewish people have rabbis. The Jewish people have the Old Testament that becomes a foundation for the New Testament in the person of Jesus, because that is what Jesus also obeyed, was the, pen, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. We can easily read this and say, well, the Jewish Christians were obviously the strong ones that need to bear with the weakness of the Gentiles, these new converts, those that uh, don't have a necessarily religious or a a, um, a monotheistic background, rather a polytheistic, because remember in, in Gentile, in Greek Hellenism, there was multiple gods. And, and so easily we can read this and say, well, the strongest are the Jews and the weak are the Gentiles. But you can also argue with the other side, which many scholars do, and say, no, 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 no. The weak are actually the Jewish Christians. Because they don't understand what it means to be uh, free in, in Jesus. And the Gentiles are the strong ones because they understand this new covenant, not being attached to any ceremonial cleansings, any food laws, any rituals. And so if we're talking about modern day, uh, the, the Gentiles could consider themselves as the woke ones, right? The more enlightened ones, the ones that now get it. Uh, and the Jews are uh, the old school way of thinking. And so therefore the Gentiles are the strong ones and the Jews are the weak ones. It can go both ways. And, and hermeneutically, uh, which is just another uh, way of just saying like how this applies to our life, it, is that this is all of us. We may be fooled to think we are the ones that are strong, when in fact we are the ones that are actually weak. I see this play out in so many different ways, even in today on one side, and, and I'm going to use very generic terms here, uh, broad strokes. So if you disagree with me, I'm sorry, this is just very generic. On one side, we have what we'd call, what I would call, for the sake of illustration, the conservatives slash fundamentals. Christians, the ones that actually, I, my background, my upbringing, Christians who believe that by being so strict to the scriptures and, and reading it verse by verse and, and doing everything that it's supposed to do, it's easy for them to consider themselves as the strong ones. Right, we see this all the time. Like, if you don't believe the same thing as I do, if you don't follow the denomination rules, if you don't believe in this, these laws that I do, then, then I'm the strong one and, and you're the weak one. But then the other side is true where, again, we have, again, I'm using very broad stroke terms, the, the more progressive, I would say, Christians that would say, you know what, we're the strong ones. Because you don't get it. You're still stuck in, you know, 1965 way of doing faith. And, and I've, you know, now have been enlightened. I've been woke. I've, you know, there's this, even this term called I've deconstructed, uh, which I think is important. I think both are very, very important to do. And I think it's necessary for our faith to understand the traditions of our faith, church history, uh, liturgy. I think that's all important. Uh, but I wouldn't say that, this group is the strong one. At the same time, I wouldn't say this group, the one that thinks, you know, they've been enlightened and that they know they have a newer faith, the Gentiles, per se, are the strong ones either. In fact, I feel very passionate about this one because if I have to show my cards a little bit, this is probably where I land right here. Uh, being a bit more boastful of the fact that I've deconstructed my faith. 
which I, again, I think it's important for us to own our faith and to understand why we believe, why we actually believe. The irony of, of this, of, of me, I'll speak personally, is, is that I've oftentimes detached myself from this fundamental conservative group because that's the group that I grew up with. And, and so I've detached myself towards this group to eliminate the barriers that this group created. And, and, and I didn't like the expression of faith where it's so exclusive that it's like this club that I went the other way and said, you know what, I've been enlightened. You don't have to necessarily do all of these things that you claim to do. There's other ways to worship God. But the irony of that is in the light of that, I've created my own barrier, the very barrier that I wanted to break down, I've created it through the avenue of elitism, of arrogance, thinking I've got it right, and they don't. And, and in my desire to break down a barrier of exclusion, I've created a different one. And the point is this, oftentimes we foolishly, myself included, my fir- myself first, convince ourselves that we are the strong ones, the ones that we, the, uh, the ones that get it, the ones that have been enlightened. And the converse side is true. If we believe that about ourselves, oftentimes we believe that those that don't agree with us have it wrong. Which creates the division. Which creates barriers. Which doesn't build up our neighbor. It actually tears them down. And the invitation and the example and the embodiment of Jesus on the cross this idea of humility you know and later in those verses he says for Christ did not please himself but it is written the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me in verse 4 for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope Well, Paul is saying, look at the people from the scriptures. Look at people, look at Moses, look at David. Look at all these people that came to do big things for the kingdom of God. What do they all have in common? Humility. It was this notion that I can't do it, God. The notion of I'm not good enough. And not in a self-deprecating way, but this understanding that we need God because we are not God. And furthermore, he says, look to the person of Jesus. For Christ did not please himself, but, but he came to honor and to serve you and me. God calls us to that kind of unity that can only derive from our pursuit of humility. See, oftentimes when we talk about building in, in foundations, and, and many years ago when I was a youth pastor, I would take students to, to Mexico to, to build houses for families. And, and the hardest part of the entire week was really the first day, the first 24 hours was mixing the cement. They didn't have all these fancy equipment. They didn't have, you know, the latest technology. We would literally have, you know, like a big bucket. We would pour the, the cement mix, some rocks, and some water, and we would grab some tools, and we would just have to mix it with our, you know, with those tools manually, uh, and, and then we would have to flatten it out. 
And that foundation was one of the most important pieces of the entire structure. And those ingredients of what, got, what made the foundation was just as important. And so for using that analogy of building that Paul uses, the foundation of to build others is love. The ingredient of that foundation, just like any cement mix, will always, always, always include humility. We see this all throughout the scriptures, as Paul says. Paul says, he says, look at everyone in the scriptures. The thing, that one thing they had in common was humility. And the biggest and the greatest example of humility was Jesus. And what he did for us on the cross. This in Romans chapter 15 is an echo of what Paul would also write in Philippians chapter 2. It's a, it's a song, it's a poem, it's a beautiful poem about Christ's example of humility that we should all follow. And I'll just read uh, Philippians chapter 2 for you, just a few verses. If then there is any encouragement, this sounds familiar to many of us, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord of of, of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Regard others as better than yourselves. And, uh, again, this isn't a self-deprecating, a low self-esteem kind of way. It's in a way that is viewed as sacrificial. And knowing that what is more important, and I want to say here is what is more important is not to prove our point, but to build others and love. And sometimes you have to pick one. And, and the question is, what happens when we get to the intersection of, do I want to be right or do I want to build? And sometimes you have to choose one or the other. And what Paul and what Jesus is saying with your neighbor, always choose to build. Let each of you look not to your own interest, aka being right, but to the interest of others to help them in their faith. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. So ultimately, he says, be like Jesus. And I'll tell you what Jesus did, what Paul writes. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I just want to remind you, this does not lessen your faith. I'm not here to tell you that anything goes. Just accept everyone for for whatever they do. This isn't about moral relativism. And for many of us, this may sound like weakening of faith to build one another up, but, but I would challenge you on that. And I would argue that to build one another, to encourage, to have patience, to walk alongside others, even if that means for us to backtrack a bit, It doesn't weaken our faith. If anything, it strengthens our faith. It makes our faith even deeper. 
In verse 5, he says, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together, together, you may be one voice that glorifies the God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. So what we have to understand is that the Christian faith is better, it's more powerful when the whole body of believers are strengthened. When it comes to any team or any sport or even any martial arts, it doesn't do the team any good if one person is just running away with the victory. It doesn't do any good if me as an upper belt is just destroying this white belt, not, not allowing this person to have any chance to learn. No, nobody wins. Nobody wins. And, and just like that, our Christian faith is better when everybody matures, when everybody develops, when everybody is being built into a home that glorifies God. The Christian faith is just better when the whole body of believers are strengthened. This is what brings glory to God. So that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember as a child, I have a sibling, I have a younger sister. The greatest joy of my parents, uh, of course, was to do chores and to be obedient and to do all the right things and to get good grades and all those things. But I tell you what, the greatest joy through the lens of my parents is when my sister and I would get along. When we would love one another, when we would serve one another. And maybe for those parents, you can identify with that. And in the same way, the greatest joy, the greatest way to to glorify God, to bring God praise, to reflect God's love is to love one another, to be guided by the Holy Spirit even in the differences, even when one is weak and one is strong. This doesn't mean that everybody has to always agree on everything. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you have to abandon what you believe is to be true. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when we are guided by the Holy Spirit, when we understand and follow the model of Jesus Christ on the cross of humility and sacrifice, self-sacrifice, weird things happen. Like people coming to the table with different beliefs that can actually speak with respect and dialogue like adults and treat each other with love. When our purpose is not to win or to be right, but to build. See, the very nature of God is relational. The Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, theologians call this relational Trinitarianism. All that fancy way of saying God by nature is relational. And so to know God, in order to know God better, in order to develop in our faith, we have to know others. And the beauty of knowing others is to experience the difference in the way God created and the God shaped and the way that God molded. And so my final word is this. We've turned the cross of Jesus oftentimes into a weapon, into a debate to win, into something that was never meant to be. When the cross is actually a symbol 
not just a symbol, but the heartbeat of our faith, where humility and self-sacrifice was the point. Was the point. And so may we as the church, now I'm going to invite the band to come back up, but may we reflect on this. May we as the church, as those that consider ourselves followers of Christ, the strong, may we help build people up. May we encourage and love them right where they're at. And by our actions, may we love them and not, not for the purpose of driving home our point, but to drive home a sense of curiosity and wonder. And again, this is for our neighbors, not just fellow Christians, but those that are around us, at our workplace, at our clubs, at our schools. May we just point people to Jesus. May we point people to the love that Christ has for all of us. And I say this time and time again, Jesus does not need any more lawyers or attorneys to his defense. Jesus needs more witnesses. Just witness and testify how God has transformed your life. And Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses all throughout Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and all the ends of the earth. You will be God's witnesses. May we witness the faith. May we draw people closer together. May we build up those that are in different points in their faith, in their walks. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Please, God, give us humility that you've modeled on the cross. Give us the ability to patiently be gracious and compassionate for those that may not get it, that may be new to faith, that may reject faith in you. God, teach us how to be a catalyst of your love to convey the message of your gospel so that those around will be curious and be attracted. Convict each and every one of us in the things that we need to change and the way we need to do to bring joy and laughter and love and to build others. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in worship. 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 Let's continue.